0: Today is the 28th day of April. We're getting near the end of April for 2023. Welcome again to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer, a retiree, uh, and uh, basically work on communications. And for the most part, it's this podcast and a couple of other things. So we are v- we're very appreciative of the fact that you have chosen to join us. We know your Time is valuable, and we always try to put something out there of, of some value in this podcast. And one of our greatest values would be our chapter president, Duncan Giles. Welcome, Duncan.
1: Good to be here, Larry. And that is definitely grading on the curve. If I'm one of the most valuable
0: <laughs> people, didn't grade under curve in college, I never would have gotten out of college. So, <laughs> so uh, curves were nice. I was always in a class with people who. Tended to to, cur- to help to how should I say help to curve in my favor I can say uh, it's it's good that uh, we're we're in the spring season and and even though it's cool in central Indiana we've had some up and down weather it's it spring is here and that's always uh, a great thing we both uh, reside in, in central Indiana and one of the biggest things that happens in the state of uh, Central State of Indiana and in Central Indiana, the month of May is the Indianapolis 500, which happens in about a month, and people are already buzzing about that. So uh, it's good to see that. And you know, Duncan, uh, we are recording this podcast after the first round of the NFL draft. I don't know about you, when I was in radio... There was no TV for the draft. I mean, we had, I remember we had a local prosecutor where I was working in the newsroom, and he would come in and ask for our, our, uh, Newswire uh, readout of all of the draft picks because he'd have to wait till the next day and find it in the newspaper, and he wanted to find out about it that day. That's how you found out about who got drafted. Now it's like it's all over social media, but on televisions on CS. Well, since ESPN went on the air, and and people told ESPN, Duck, and they were nuts that nobody would watch the draft. So I'm watching <laughs> last night in Kansas City, and it's on ABC television. And, and and they've got a comic act and a music act and a band. It's like, what has happened here?
1: Yeah, it's become such a spectacle. <clears throat> and take, for instance, you know, like you said, it's happening in Kansas City. They had to close down the Kansas City Service Center for three days and folks had to telework because of the fact that the crowds have become so massive hmm. and so huge. And I'm like you. I can remember, OK, I, uh, who are they going to pick? Because you just don't know because you, you weren't able to see it live.
0: And people, but there, there, are, there are trades like, you know, there, were, there was a trade in the first few picks last night, you know, that happened at the last minute. So I guess if you're a big NFL fan or football fan, it's a big deal. I'm i not as big an NFL fan as I used to be, uh, but I did watch a few minutes of it and I thought, this is nuts. <laughs> I mean, this is big. and it gets good ratings. So what can I say? Well, let's get down to our business t- uh, today. We have several issues. We're going to talk about voting, administrative leave. We're going to talk about a grievance over sort of all mail procedures, child care subsidies, uh, the debt ceiling, and a few other issues in this podcast. Let's start off with that. There have been some changes in uh, in this whole system for uh, getting an administrative leave to vote. Uh, When I was working, it was a pretty down the middle and kind of limited ability to take that leave. Things have changed. I'd like you to sort of go over that. Even We've got a primary election coming up right after we record this in the state of Indiana, but uh, the general election is coming up in in November. Uh, So please tell us uh, what everyone needs to be aware of as we uh, prepare for election season.
1: Yeah, there was, excuse me, there was an executive order from President Biden basically wanting to have uh, more federal employees have the ability to vote. And so this came out and what the negotiations ended up being between National NTU and the IRS was that you get four hours, up to four hours to vote, including your travel time. Now that's not to say, okay, you get an automatic four hours. It's OK, you need to let your manager know that you do want to take a vote. And depending upon business needs, they will let you know when during that day that you're available to vote. But you get time to drive there, time to stand in line if there is one, go ahead and vote, and time to, uh, to return for either work or the end of your day, depending upon what your situation is. And this is something that is fairly new. It came out uh, late last fall. The agreement was signed in October of last year. So we want to make sure that everybody is aware that they do get this up to four hours of time to vote because it is a huge thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that more people are able to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, what surprised me is that now there's a provision for early voting, which in Indiana, in many parts of Indiana, there is early voting, so it doesn't have to be election day, and that's why it was for many years. Hmm. The, the other part of that that surprised me is that even if, for example— there's a special election, like for a House member, because, you know, the way the Constitution is written, if a senator leaves or dies or whatever, you know th- there could be an appointed person to fill out that term. In the House of Representatives, you cannot be appointed to that job. You must be elected. So if there's an opening, there has to be some sort of an election. You could even take administrative leave for those elections. Those are some new provisions we haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, it really is. And, you know, like you mentioned, It doesn't have to be the general election. It could be the primary in your state if you're outside of Indiana. You know, depending upon when your primary is, you get this time uh, to do it. So, yeah, it has widened quite a bit from where it used to be. And we just want to make sure that everybody is aware that they do get this time uh, to exercise their right to
0: vote. So it's a result of an executive order from President Biden, and uh, there's also to implement that an agreement with NTEU for people working at the IRS and other agencies represented by NTEU. So anything else on uh, administrative leave for voting? It's an important change.
1: No, it is. I just wanted to make people aware of it. And like I say, because we've got one coming up in Indiana fairly quickly, I uh, wanted to make sure folks in our chapter knew, but this goes for anybody across the country. When your primaries, and, of course, the general elections in November.
0: Let's move on to something else, because one thing we always try to emphasize in this podcast is just what NTEU does for employees on a regular basis. Now, I started out at the IRS in 1983 in a clerical position. And one, I should have put, process that all clerical people had to be aware of and and familiar with was this whole idea of certified mail because so much certified mail is sent out by the Internal Revenue Service for a variety of, of issues, whether it be collection, exam, other parts of the service. So c- certified mail was always a very big part of the job and still is to a large extent today, even with the, the upgrades in technology. Well, there's been a recent change, and a pretty big one in the certified mail process. The management called it a de minimis change. Now, for those who don't know what that means, De minimis is, is a term of legal Latin. De minimis, uh, technically translated from Latin, means so small you cannot even measure it. The management took the position that this change was so small it didn't have to be negotiated. But, Duncan, NTEE was taking another view on this.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, this change in how they do certified mail may end up being a very good thing. I think it could well be. But when you make these types of changes without having these negotiations with NTU, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, one of the things that I get from management is, well, we thought about all the options. And then you sit down and talk to them and said, well, did you think about this? Did you think about this? Did you think about this? Well, no. And that's the value in having these agreements with NTU saying, hey, we want to change this. We think it's a good thing. We want to get on the uh, system with you so we can go ahead and brief you and then, if necessary, negotiate over it. And that's how it should work so we can work out any kinks or possible problems beforehand. Uh, Instead, what has happened in this case and what happens in other cases is, as you said, the management deems this, oh, it's a small change. It's nothing. It's not a big deal, which is what they say about just about everything. Um, And so... You know, they could say, okay, your draft eligibility has changed and you're eligible for the NFL draft this year. That's de minimis. Well, no, it would be pretty major for me, but that's neither here nor there. But it's one of those things where, you know, there are very few things to us that are de minimis uh, because when you're making these types of changes, it is going to impact people's, how they do their job, their workloads, things of that nature. And so all these things have to be considered and we want to negotiate the impact and implementation of them to make sure it's done correctly. So that's why when you see something like this, people might think, well, it's not a big deal. No, actually it is, and this is one of the things that NTU does for employees every day across all of our agencies. We look to make sure that things are being done the right way and that it doesn't negatively impact employees as much as possible.
0: I want to ask you to explain something because we use these terms a lot, and maybe breaking it down explaining it to people might help. You know, uh, when there is a change in working conditions, NTU, unless it's de minimis, and that really doesn't apply very often in the real world, but when there is a change in working conditions like this, this uh, change in the certified mail, uh, NTEU has the right to bargain over the impact and implementation of that change. That's not a small thing. Explain what the union does in impact and implementation bargaining.
1: Yeah, people say, well, can't you just stop that? Well, you know, a lot of things, we'd love to do that. We'd love to say, oh, this is a horrible idea. You need to stop it. However, Congress has not given us that power. Um, They've probably seen some of my work in action and said, no, we're not doing that. So what happens with impacted implementation is how is this going to impact the employees and the IRS? How is this change in working conditions going to change their work life? And how is it going to be implemented? Is this possibly going to need training? Is this something that we're going to need to have meetings with everybody about? Or is there only a certain amount of employees that are going to be impacted by this? So there's where you've got your impact. Implementation, again, is also, you know, how is it going to be rolled out? Is this a pilot? Is it going to be rolled out all at once? Is it going to be done in phases? Those types of things. So those are the things that NTU can and does negotiate over uh, that are under statute that we will press upon, you know, even sometimes when management says, well, it's de minimis. Well, then we do what we're doing now in filing a grievance and saying, hey, hold this up, stop this, until we can sit down and negotiate it.
0: And the bottom line is when there's a major change in the way we do business as employees, that you need some impact and implementation to ease you into those new rules, new uh Situations you see there yourselves in. So, this impact and implementation bargaining is quite important. And when the management tries to st- sidestep that, saying it's de minimis, uh, NTE's attorneys look at it and say, okay, it's not de minimis. We will go to a formal filing. And that's what's happened here. So, as you said, this may well be a very good change, but let's do it the right way.
1: That's very well put, Larry.
0: All right, let's go to something that you and I have talked about a number of times ever really ever since you negotiated the national agreement. And this is the new child care subsidy. And with the funding in that subsidy, uh, there have been some changes, I think, for the better in terms of who is eligible for this. Uh, we understand that employees either are, being, are going to be briefed on this or already have. So tell us about the child care subsidy and, and how it's going to work as best we know it now.
1: Yeah, basically the program is unchanged. What has changed are the total family income limits, and those have greatly increased to go by more of what was initially proposed by NTEU. When we first did this, IRS and understandably so, had no idea what the impact was going to be, the financial impact. So they set a fairly low uh, uh, family-level income, which is all the income that a family brings in. And um, you know, we've gotten it now increased to 90000 starting for the May 1st uh, sign up for this. So, you know, there are different levels and the first level is up to 90000 So if you and your family are making up to 90000 would, and you have child care expenses, you would qualify for this. And you're probably going to want to put in because you can get up to, at that level, over $400 a month uh, for this. So, you know, and it goes by different Um, you know, different grades of income. And this was information that was sent out just a few days ago from the IRS to all employees. So if this is something, if you do have childcare uh, costs, you do want to take a look at this and see if you do qualify. And if you do, by all means put in, because, you know, in this day and age, anything you can get reimbursed for, by golly, you should.
0: Yeah. And this is targeted particularly for single parents or a a set of parents that may not be on the higher end of the income scale. I mean, $400 a month to help with child care is a very big boost.
1: It certainly is. I mean, this is one of those things that we talked about at the table because this was an NTU initiative uh, championed by our director of negotiations, Ken Moffat. Um, And we thought it was everybody thought it was great, including the IRS management team. It was just the logistics of getting a vendor picked out, which we went through a lot of trials and tribulations there. Uh, Finally got somebody that uh, hopefully will work fine. And then the income limits. And now that the income limits have been raised. um, You know, we want to continue to see more and more folks try to apply for this. Because like you said, you know, four hundred dollars over $400 a month is not chicken feet. And that can absolutely help a family um, that's got that income limit.
0: You know, Duncan, it, and the reason I think that the NTU uh, team went for this is because other agencies are already doing it. For example, the Veterans Administration. Now, VA, if you read about federal employee news, the VA has not always had a great relationship with their union. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> And yet, uh, they've had this now for their second contract, and their second contract with uh, the agency agreed to enhance the benefit and make it better. So it's clearly something that is outstanding for retention and and recruitment of employees, particularly if they're on the lower end that they're clerical or maybe uh, jobs that are not in the the higher uh, uh, pay level, you can still recruit good people for those very important jobs. So uh, we are recording this and posting it on uh, April 28th. And uh, the the uh, uh, registration for this begins on May 1st. Now, there are a few people that just can't wait to watch and listen to this podcast, and they'll watch it uh, right <laughs> away. But most people listen to it later. So uh, uh, May 1st is the first time you could register. And if you have any questions about it, please contact your own. Contact Duncan here in Indiana or any of his stewards or whoever your union officials may be anywhere you may be listening in the country. Something else that's happened in the past week is this House of Representatives vote on the debt ceiling. I mean, this is... This is really, here's what really bothers me about this. Now, you and I have talked about the fact that if you want to talk about cutting spending, you do it a budget time. You don't do it a part of the debt ceiling. It's just, but the other part of this is, now this is my own little editorial opinion. Uh, the debt ceiling vote created budget cuts. But here's the thing. Uh, the Speaker of the House calls them not budget cuts, but savings. And not only that, that little labeling exercise, they just say we're going to cut this percentage in this little area here, our big area. But this debt ceiling measure does not say where you're going to make the cuts. This could have a major impact on every federal agency that has an important uh, job to do. IRS being uh, obviously one of them. They want to take away the a larger or most of the inflation reduction act extra money to to get us staffed up and and get our technology uh, up to date and just our, our annual uh, uh, budget would be cut uh, dramatically. And we're not the only agency that would have that there would be layoffs in the federal workforce if this thing passed. And we don't know where they'd be because the debt ceiling bill that passed in the House doesn't tell us that if you're going to cut Congress, tell us where you're going to cut or you're not being serious about it. And I read a lot of political uh, you know, people who, who are the, the pundits who follow these things in, in Congress, and their basic uh, analysis is, number one, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate Second thing is Biden's going to veto this bill. So if you want to raise the debt limit, you're going to have to find another way to do it. I'd kind of like to hear your take on this, Duncan.
1: Yeah, you've, you've raised the main points. The other point is, is the debt ceiling, as we've said before, the faith and credit of the United States is not something you want to play a game of chicken with. You know, this is going to have, if the debt ceiling doesn't pass, uh, you're going to see tremendous, tremendous instances of financial upheaval. Everything from interest rates going up much higher than they are now, uh, stock markets going way down, investments in other things aside from the stock market probably not doing well. Uh, there's There would be a lot of financial upheaval. But, you know, as you so aptly stated, Larry, this is not the place. You've already spent this money. This is just to pay the pay this money and the interest that's on it back. No, no, this is not the time and place to discuss what you want to cut. That's where the budget talks. And, um, you know, that's that's when it should be done. The debt ceiling, as it has been in the previous administration, should just be raised with a clean debt ceiling raised. Now, I understand that there are political pressures from all sides about this. That That happens. It's politics. But this is not something that there should be politics about, and as you said, this could have grave ramifications to all federal agencies, especially the IRS when they're wanting to claw back seventy-two of the eighty billion dollars that we got on the uh, on the IRA for the you know the buildup to try and get us back to where we need to be as a service.
0: Yeah, and I I, I think that. Uh... How should I put this? The other part of this is we still don't know how it would impact federal agencies if the debt ceiling's not raised on time. Uh, I think I told you many times about the exercise I went through when I was a manager, we had this scare, I think, what was it, 2011, I think? Mm -hmm. And uh, we were all, the management was looking at each other saying, gee, what do we do now? Because there's no precedent for this. We don't know. If you can't borrow money You can't meet your day-to-day bills. Which ones do you pay? Which ones don't you pay? Who has to get laid off? Who doesn't? Who has to come to work without pay? I mean, we've never been through something like this. So it's, it's, it's going to cause chaos in the markets, chaos in the economy, and chaos in the way government is run. So let me just tell you one comforting thought that I have was that the Speaker of the House went to Wall Street a couple of weeks ago and met privately with those people and he was able to walk out alive so it must he must have actually promised them that he would raise the debt limit that's the only thing i can think of
1: uh let's let's hope that uh sanity prevails let's just go that route
0: and one thing about this also you know our our pay raise is still in the budget cycle uh at this point as far as federal employee raises are concerned and uh I'm a little worried that this whole debt ceiling argument could uh, have an impact on that. What do you think?
1: I am extremely concerned that the, uh, that the raise the president has proposed um, is going to become a political football um, in the fall. And it's not going to be pleasant for us. And I don't want us to see us to be made scapegoats because of the fact that, you know, political expediency. So this was something I think could have a great impact for us down the road. And, you know, NTU, both nationally and locally, is watching this. But as always, you know, on your own time, on your own equipment, please, please, please let your representative and your senators know your position on this, that you deserve a pay raise, that you should get a pay raise that we do need a clean debt ceiling and that they do need to talk about the budget and come up with uh, a reasonable budget that everybody can live with, maybe not agree with, maybe not be in love with, but live with so we can go on and do the work that we're supposed to be doing.
0: I think it should be noted that vote in the House of Representatives was extremely close. So uh, if if we had a debt ceiling deadline staring us in the face, I don't know. Perhaps uh, the house would uh, uh, would finally come to their senses and just vote for one. But we'll, time will tell. We, you know, these things have to play out politically, and there are a variety of ways they can play out in the end. One thing we are entering is a political season. I mentioned we have a a, a primary election uh, May second in the state of Indiana. We have our general election nationwide in November. Uh, a lot of people are now. Uh, announcing for president for the election that comes next year. So, Duncan, just a a, a gentle reminder, we still have a Hatch Act on the books, don't we?
1: Yes, we certainly do. So you don't want to talk about advocating for a political person uh, for any office on government time, on government property, no shirts, no buttons, no hats, nothing like that. Can you advocate for somebody on your own personal time on like a Facebook page? You absolutely can when you do it on your own time and not on a government computer. The one thing you can't do is fundraise for somebody. You don't want to sit there and say, can you give to a a candidate? Absolutely. But can you ask others to give to a candidate? No. And these are just a few small parts of the Hatch Act. So if you, you know, we just want to make sure that everybody stays out of trouble. If you have questions about what. Something might fall under the Hatch Act. If you're in Indiana, uh, contact you know, the local chapter, NTU 49. Or you know if you're outside of Indiana, contact your chapter. They'll be happy to talk to you about this so we can make sure that you're doing things the right way. And if you're an advocate for someone or something, that you're able to do that, but do it correctly.
0: Another issue, just a quick reminder, uh, Duncan, to everyone that uh, it is very important for a variety of reasons that every member of NTEU should always make sure that their mailing address is up to date and on the record the correct address. Uh, if uh, a good indication of that is if you have been receiving in the mail, and NTU still does send mailings quite often. Uh, if you're getting mailings from the NTU National Office, that would be a good indication your 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 uh, mailing address is good. But make sure, because there are a variety of reasons that use the National Union sends you many mailings that are very important. Local chapter sends out your mailing for an, for example, for elections. So if you want to vote in an election, you have to have an up updated address. So just uh, make sure you your uh, Mailing addresses is up to date, and you have any question about that, contact any NTEU elected official or steward, and they can check on that. And if you have an account on nteu.org as a member, you can check your address there as well. And, Duncan Giles, let's have your final comment.
1: Oh, you know, we've talked a lot about voting uh, on this particular podcast. And, you know, primary season here in Indiana, and it's going to be coming up. Uh, across the country, and then, you know, general election, even though it's not a uh, presidential election this year. You know, I'm a huge, huge believer in voting. You know, if somebody doesn't agree with me politically, that's fine. Just, you know, make your voice heard by voting. This is something that is extremely precious. We've fought wars over this, and we want to make sure that everybody who's entitled to vote can vote. And that's why that administrative time is so important to be able to do so. So I would urge everyone, uh, whenever the opportunity arises, whether it's local, state, national elections, to please get out, vote, make your opinion heard.
0: And even though we're federal employees, uh, mostly this is what this uh, podcast is for, uh, your local elections are very important. I am a big believer in voting in your local election in Indiana. Our city and town elections are in this year and you know the kind of park systems you have the roads uh planning and zoning that goes on as to what kind of community you have i can go all the way down the line your local government and that's true nationwide is so important so do not you know turn your back on your local elections educate yourself and, and make sure you vote in those elections as well i've got something as a final comment that i would i would like to discuss and it, a man by the name of philip Zellico was the top staff person for the 9-11 Commission, and he's now been tasked with uh, working on a commission looking at the pandemic for the University of Virginia, and basically he's making the point that the federal government was not prepared for something like a health pandemic. Um, he said some things about the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, but he wasn't being necessarily critical of them. What he was saying is the federal government never set up the CDC to do I have, or handle something like a major pandemic like the coronavirus uh, the report says, the vol- and this is what Zelico had to say in, in, in that report, America doesn't really have a national public health agency with operational capabilities around the country that makes trade-offs between loss of education, economic hardship, and public health issues. CDC was thrust into a position of offering guidance that turned out to be unworkable and sometimes based on bad science. But the deeper problem is that we didn't have institutions that were even built to make those decisions in the first place. So, Duncan, a lot of those decisions were made by local health departments. Some of them did a good job. Some of them really was kind of out of their league as well. One last thought on the pandemic. Dr. Fauci gave a wide-ranging interview to the New York Times and basically says, you know, when you look back on the handling of the pandemic, something clearly went wrong. And here's a quote from him. I don't know exactly what it was, but the reason we know what went wrong is that we are the richest country in the world. And on a per capita basis, we've done worse than virtually all other countries. And there's no reason that a rich country like ours has to have one point one million deaths, and that's the end of the quote. And that was the the pandemic deaths he's talking about. Anything about that, Duncan? You want because I think we've there really isn't a federal uh, agency to handle this, and uh, and I, I think we've all kind of lost something. Maybe we need to take a look at, at what government role there should be nationally when a pandemic hits.
1: I I absolutely think so because this is something that uh sort of snuck up on us kept snowballing and we just didn't have the resources and we're playing constant catch-up so anything that we can do to have some sort of government function organization that is prepared for something like this on a widespread basis i think would be a wise investment
0: and you just heard duncan giles president of the nteu chapter 49 the national treasury employees union Our union uh, represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana, and we always welcome our listeners and viewers from uh, around the country. And even Duncan says we have people around the world. I don't know how often people watch or listen in other places around the world, but we have a few select people who, for some reason decide to to check in on this podcast. If you would like each time we have a new podcast, both the video and audio links, go to nteu49 at aol.com, send an email. Duncan will put you on a list to get those links every time we have a new podcast. We do appreciate you spending time with us today. And please be safe and be kind.